Dude, it's cold. That happens in winter. It's cold. I mean, it's really, it's cold. Actually, it's not that bad today. It's, as we're driving along down the road, you'll hear the road noise in the background. Sorry about that. We're in the old truck today. It's, we had to get the truck out and and uh, get it some miles because it hadn't been run in a in a while. So yeah, we're uh, we're driving around in a winter wonderland. Except for it's actually warmer today and not that uh, not that bad of weather. Uh, I'm salty. This is spice. We're all, you're listening to the show, the big show, the Three BY podcast, the official podcast of the Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You Project. And today we're cold. And we're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. We're dealing with the cold. Subject of today's podcast is going to be hypothermia. First thing, there's two major types of cold injury. Frostbite is one bits of you, the most exposed bits of you. Fingers, toes, nose, ear tips are usually what's affected. Just literally freeze solid. And that's bad. That's bad. But it's not hypothermia. There is, in fact, a article on 3BY with research in it about uh, how to deal if somebody does get some frostbite, the best way to help them recover from that. But that's not today. Not today. Today's about hypothermia, and hypothermia is when your entire body, your core temperature, drops. Now, I don't know much about hypothermia. I'm not a, I know when I'm starting to feel it. Uh, because we're divers, and she's going to get into the fact that water really sucks the heat right out of you. But um, I will tell you that I do know that hypothermia is one of the fastest killers around. You can you can be killed by hypothermia in a matter of minutes in certain situations. If you're not in the water, it's going to be longer. But strangely enough, that's not quite true. It isn't. I no. lied. I told a fib. Actually, I was wrong. <laughs> There's a difference between lying and being wrong. Yeah. You can be rendered completely inoperable and apparently dead in mere minutes in cold water with hypothermia. But there are people who have been no pulse, no apparent breathing for hours and been recovered from hypothermia. I've had one EMT tell me that according to their training... You're not dead until you're warm and dead. That's interesting. Because the metabolic rate of your tissues goes down so much when you get cold, they just don't die from lack of oxygen because they don't need much oxygen because they're not doing very much because they're so dang cold. You become like a turtle. You go into torpor. Well, not really, but sort of. Except they're a lot better at recovering themselves from it than we are at recovering ourselves from it. That's the major difference. Okay, so hypothermia, what exactly is it? Right now, your core body temperature is running about 37C. Or 98.6 for those of you who are on the heathen system. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't done all the conversions to the heathen system. Uh, I, all the research, of course, is in degrees C, and that's the way my brain naturally runs because it makes a heck of a lot more sense. When it comes to, when it comes to measurements, though... I admit it, I am an unfettered, unbiased heathen. I want imperial measurements. Some things a aren't foot badly. It's as long as a foot. At least my foot is. Except everybody has different sized feet, well, and my then foot the measurement is a foot. foot is only one foot. My foot is a foot. Well, one of my two feet are a foot. The other one's slightly shorter than a foot. 
All right, that accounts for five percent of the population. Then there's the rest of us. Which well, is, I mean, the important five percent are covered. <laughs> well, there you are. But anyway, a lot of what I've got is in degree C. But right now you're at thirty-seven. Uh, every two degrees C, if you round it off to be in about five degrees Fahrenheit, you won't be too terribly far off. So that'll help you uh, keep track here. If your body temperature drops a little bit, like to 35 degrees C, you start to be mildly hypothermic. And at that point, you're starting to shiver pretty good, and you are alert, you're conscious, you can deal with yourself. You may have uh, trouble with dexterity in your fingers because the extremities do chill faster than everything else. You may be starting to get a little bit stupid. But you're still alert and functional and responsive and can make coherent sentences and stuff like that. That's mild hypothermia. All the way down to about 32 degrees C, which is, oh, what, below 90 Fahrenheit, you, your shivering gets worse and worse and worse, and it can get... There have been frail people who've actually broken bones from shivering so hard. That's just your muscles that normally move the joint in different directions. They're both contracting at once. So you don't actually change direction, but you have a whole bunch of muscle activity because muscle activity heats you up really good. Is that why we shiver? That's why we shiver. We shiver to warm ourselves. So all the way down to 32C, shivering tends to get worse and worse and worse. If your body cools below that, the shivering fades off, and by about 30 degrees centigrade or so, uh, that's a mild summer day temperature. We're talking, oh, maybe mid-80s body, yeah. body temperature by then. Uh, the shivering actually goes away, but that's not a good sign. It's just a sign that your brain has become so chilled it's not able to manage that job anymore. And if you've dropped below the stage where you are shivering, you will no longer be capable of warming yourself back up. So once you pass the shivering stage, you better have help warming yourself up. Or blankets, you... electric blankets, heating. We'll get there. Oh, okay, we'll get there. We're getting there. Yeah. I'm jumping. I'm jumping the gun. If you get colder than that, your heart heartbeat gets really slow. Your breathing gets really slow. You're really stupid, you're really clumsy, you can't help yourself anymore. After you stop shivering, basically you're done helping yourself. Uh, you go unconscious, and you can appear to be dead and even have no cardiac activity for more than an hour on end, and still be recoverable if you're warmed up carefully. Because you're an ice cube. Well, I mean, yeah, you're an 80 degree ice yeah. cube, but you're an ice cube. You're not frozen, but you're too cold to function. And that's not dead yet. The, what you want to avoid is having the heart uh, just fail and stop. Go into fibrillation is what it's called. So my question for you is, going back to basing everything, our entire lives and existence are based on the movie Princess Bride. At this point in time, you're just mostly dead. Mostly dead. But not entirely dead. Everybody who's seen that movie knows that mostly dead is not the same as completely dead. Yeah, so... At this Cold point, dead you're mostly dead. Mostly you need dead. the guy with the bellows. You know, <laughs> you know, you need the, the the magical pill and the guy with the bellows to. Yeah. I know Billy Crystal's around. Anyway, go right ahead. 
So basically, if the person's still shivering, they're able to help warm themselves up. And if you're trying to help them out, you try and get them somewhere that's going to make that happen. You want a moisture barrier on them because you do not want their body water evaporating because that chills them down so very effectively. Uh, water steals heat from the body 25 times faster than air steals heat from the body. That's why you get hypothermic so quickly. People have died of hypothermia diving in 85-degree water. And that's why also, you know, you can go into a swimming pool on a 100-degree on a day and the water's 80 degrees, but you really can't stay in it forever because you'll start getting cold, even though it seems like when you get in it, the water seems warm. Yeah, and the kids who are having a great time can actually drive themselves hypothermic. Their lips start turning purple. And, yeah. yeah, that's bad blood flow. That's a sign. Yeah, and then that that's actually a, a point in time. Now, this is kind of a different podcast, a different thing, but that's actually a point in time when, when some people become in danger of drowning because they start to lose their their uh, mental capacities. They start to shift into this other mode and even if they're swimming and stuff, that's one of the things that will go away. And drowning doesn't look like drowning, but we'll get back to that in another podcast. But on a related note, while we're here, if somebody is hypothermic and help finally arrives and starts to pull them out of the water, that's actually one of the big danger times if you were on the verge of dying from hypothermia in the water. Is it shock? One of the reasons, there's two major reasons it happens. But one of them is people are so relieved that help is finally there. They've been hanging on, teeth and toenails to life. Help is finally there. They become less stressed, and that changes their hormonal state, and that changes their blood flow, and their body temperature suddenly drops another five degrees. They quit moving, and they drown before you can actually grab them out of the water. That's one of the reasons. The other main reason relates to one of the big deals about how you go about helping somebody warm up, whether they're still shivering or whether they're not still shivering. kind of makes a difference. If they're alert and they're able, conscious and able to move around, then the most effective way to get them to, to heat up actually is to keep them moving as long as they are still alert and very functional. So you keep them moving, that generates a lot of body heat, that'll help them warm up pretty good. Uh, the thing you want to do is feed them a lot of calories because that's what actually causes people to die of hypothermia a lot of times when they've shivering has been keeping them warm enough to keep them out of critical danger and then they run out of energy to do the shivering. That's a bad thing. So feeding them lots like of nice blood sugar. Handy, yep. Bring the blood sugar up, lots of nice handy carbohydrates. Of course, they're going to like it better and they're going to eat it better if it's warm. But the actual amount of calories they get from the heat of the drink is so minor, it's not worth worrying about. So give it to them warm if you got it. But if you don't, uh, get them some nice carbohydrate, fast-carb calories. Sugar is good at that point in time. While they're shivering, to help support their shivering, you're actually feeding their shivering reaction and helping them move around. But if the person is not very alert and very functional, if they are more than very mildly hypothermic, you don't want to move in. You don't want them trying to help you. You don't want them trying to help themselves because what that's going to do is the coldest part of their bodies is going to be the arms and the legs. So if you make them walk, you make them move around, you make You're them help themselves. You're moving the cold blood and stuff yeah. into their... When you move muscles, the muscles release signals that make the blood flow to them better. 
So when they start moving their arms and legs, they get a lot better blood flow to their arms and legs. It brings the colder blood that was out there back to the core. And then the body temperature keeps dropping. So you've actually made the situation worse by your early attempts to rescue and get them moving. Instead, you want them to lie flat because that gets the least circulation to and from the extremities. You don't want them upright where it drains blood from the uh, top of the body down toward the feet because they get faint because there are blood pools down there in the legs. And you don't want the, to raise the legs like you often do when people feel faint because that drains blood from the legs. Back to the core, you want them to be lying flat and you want them to be still. And if you can just uh, pick them up and carry them somewhere warmer so you can take care of them, that's great. Uh, a moisture barrier to keep them from evaporating. I started to say that before I got sidetracked. And obviously insulation. If you got wet clothes on them, at this point in time you uh, put the moisture barrier on the outside and more insulation on top. Well, the wet clothes at that point in time are not really going to be drawing the, the heat away if you put a moisture barrier around it. Yeah. They'll start, actually start the, being a heat trap. They'll start working in reverse. Yeah. And you can use the emergency blankets that a lot of us carry in our uh, kits for that. Those little mylar guys. Are perfect for that. They're great windshields. That's, in fact, one of the major ways they heat. They're heat shells. They have no insulating value whatsoever, but they do keep the moisture in, and that's a big deal. Yeah, so you wrap them up and yeah. then you grab Tarp a piece of duct tape. And Tarps work. Garbage bags work. Anything that will stop yeah. the wind. Minimize the amount of exposure of the head and neck. That whole bit about you, you lose 90% of the heat from your head, that's only true if you're bundled up from the neck down and running around with a wet head. So that's mostly bunk. But when you're covering somebody up, you do have to let them breathe, so you leave the face open. But the smaller that hole is, the better you'll conserve their heat, and that is a big deal. Because you do get a lot of blood flow to the head. So... Put them in a giant garbage bag if you gotta. And don't close it up tight enough around the neck to suffocate them, obviously. But other than that, you want to minimize heat loss around the neck. I know one medical crew, I was reading about this and this popped in my head. One medical crew actually carries body bags for this purpose. Because they they well, they work it. perfectly. They're moisture-proof. And they're very light and easy to carry. Yeah. And they have them. You know, rather than carrying specialized equipment, they just put, a, put the person in a body bag and leave, leave it open so they can breathe. You yeah, know? leave it open to the face and they're good. Creepy, but effective. Of course, but. they don't call it a body bag when the person, to the person saying they, they call it a hypothermia bag. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to toss blankets on top of it, so now it's a hypothermia bag instead of being a body bag. Works for me. Um. As far as actually heating them up goes, if you don't have anything else, body-to-body -body contact, inside the sleeping bag or whatever, the warm person is taking one for the team there because they're obviously going to get chilled. Uh, if the person is shivering vigorously, that actually works just about as good as having a warm body next to them. So if it's let them shiver vigorously while you carry them somewhere warmer, go. Good. Do that. If it's, hey, we're already in the shelter anyway, and I'm not doing anything else, I've stoked up some fuel to get my body to uh, get myself really well fueled, then yeah, climb in there with them and help warm them up. Because they'll certainly be more comfortable while they're warming if it's being warmed by another body instead of being warmed by their massive shivering. 
which is no fun at all, by the way. Um, other than that, you want to heat up the core. You want to heat the back, you want to heat the chest, and you want to heat the armpits. So that's a great place for heat exchange. You do not want to specifically heat the extremities because it increases the blood flow from the extremities faster than it warms the extremities. And you get that temperature drop thing going on again. So I'm, I'm guessing at this point in time, you just care about the core. You care about the core. And you care about the head. The, the tissues aren't freezing. As long as the hands and feet don't freeze solid, they are going to recover just fine because they actually are pretty tolerant to getting bad oxygen for periods of time. They're going to be all right. It's the core because you don't want the heart to stop. The heart gets really angry and ready to throw bad rhythms and ready to go into fibrillation and ready to quit pumping blood when it gets cold. And that is the biggest risk when you're rewarming people. You're trying to do it in such a way as to keep the heart from tripping off into some kind of cardiac failure that's going to kill them. It's cardiac failure that kills them. So uh, what's good for that? If you got uh, heating pads or blankets that work, you do that. If you've got big, warm uh, heating uh, bottles, big water bottles, stick the water bottles on their chest. Uh, first, don't make the water hot enough to burn you, and then also always make sure there's a barrier, like a layer of cloth between you and them, because cold skin burns ridiculously easily. So not only will they not know it, because the skin's too chill for them to be feeling the skin, but they will also burn way easier than you would burn because the heat just sits there. The, the blood's not circulating through the area very well. The heat just sits there and causes thermal burns to the skin, even if the water is really only lukewarm can do it because that tissue is really sensitive right there. So always have a barrier between it. But warm water bottles work good. And you can stick a couple of uh, warm water bottles underneath their arms so they get the good heat exchange there with the armpit. She's sticking her warm model. As I look over there, she's got the arm. Yeah, I'm with, sticking my finger under my arm thing. like I got a heating pad on there. Got to so got to show you all how to, how to go do this. With this. But you know, uh, there is a, a kit, a something. It's called something like a heat emergency kit. I'll uh, the name will be in the associated story that goes along with this. Uh, the military developed it for helping recover hypothermic patients. It's like a less intense but much bigger chemical heating pack, like the hand or foot warmers. And it's got a heat shell in it, like the Mylar blanket kind of deal. So those are really nice, and you can buy those commercially as well. Uh, the place I got all this information from, which is the Wilderness Society Physicians Group, they did a big peer review of all the medical literature on the subject and came up with a bunch of recommendations, and they told you how much research stood behind each of the recommendations. That's what the whole piece is basically based on. Uh, what those guys came up with is you really shouldn't use hand and foot warmers in most cases. Too hot? They're too hot, and again, you got the problem of they increase the blood flow before they actually get very much of the tissue heated up, so you get too much cooling of the blood going to and from the limbs. I would think you could use the hand and foot warmers in a certain in a certain way, but you would have to definitely uh, 
put them in several layers worth of thing and just put them inside the thing, not touching the human. To yeah. Get them just to, to, to do a, a general overall warming inside the, the bag, whatever you have them in, but don't let them touch the person and, and just have it as a, a way to keep, keep the heat up in, in general. Yeah, I had a similar thought when I was reading that, and I was imagining getting those hand and foot warmers and wrapping them in, and activating them and putting them in socks. Yeah, and then just and, leaving them in the inside the, the moisture container. Yeah, definitely not, not with touching. the person's body weight on top, but like layer of blankets, layer of blankets, uh, little hand and foot warmers inside their little socks, another layer of blankets. Yeah, that's what so I'm, it's kind of warming up the blankets, which are warming up the person and kind of spreading it around. That's that's kind of the image I came up with for it. The one thing that, the, the only thing I like about a hospital is when you're cold and they bring you a warm blanket. And they put oh, on, yeah, oh, right after you're out of surgery, on. they bring you the warm blankets. And you put they your have warm blankets on Blanket you. heater. And you're just like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of it totally stinks. <laughs> the rest, rest of it is really, really suboptimal. <laughs> Except probably the so- surgery work, so, because you're there, so that's plus. Except for what? The surgery probably worked because you're there, so yeah, that's plus. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's the idea. You're trying to warm them up, and if you've got an AED, and you put the AED on the person, and the AED wants to shock them, you let them shock. You let it shock them one time, but it, at full strength. But if that one time doesn't work, and they're really hypothermic, like they're passed out, cold hypothermic, rumble. Then you uh, don't shock them again until you've warmed them up a few degrees. Then you try it another time. You don't just keep shocking them again and again, even if the AED thinks so. If you don't have an AED, Which or the AED says uh, this rhythm is not something I'm supposed to shock, but you can't feel a pulse. The pulse is going to be really hard to feel if they're seriously hypothermic. It's going to be really faint. you got to feel it up there in the neck on the carotid artery, and you got to actually feel for it for a full stinking minute because the heart rate could go so dang slow. Um, If they have a palpable pulse, even if it's ridiculously slow, you don't give them CPR. But if you think you might be able to warm them up and you feel no pulse at all, then you give them CPR. And unlike warm people who CPR either works or it doesn't work in a fairly short period of time, there have been people who've had CPR being done on them by a team of people because it's really fatiguing for hours on end and recovered once they were warmed. Now I'm going to, we're going to throw out the caveat here. If you haven't had CPR training in the last five years, it's time to go back. Not only do you need the refresher, but things have changed. Yeah. Recommendations have changed based on research, based on actual real world experience. So it's something that, that might be Good to do. And if you get a CPR course, I highly, 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 highly recommend you get one that has the AED certification included in it. The automatic defibrillation. These AEDs are everywhere in public, and knowing it's they're very simple to use. We've both been trained on an AED. Not uh, every emergency is a worldwide S- uh, stuff hits the fan situation. Most right. of them are not. You Most emergencies start, come one to the You may be shopping in the farm store and see a guy fall over from a heart attack. You know, you're still going to need to help him. And if they have an AED, which many of them, many yeah. businesses do, you know, maybe you can save a life. So if maybe this uh, hypothermia is a kid fell through the ice and the kid was stuck under the ice for quite a while. 
and you pull the kid out and the kid looks dead, the kid is not dead until the kid is warm and dead. So you do the CPR. Hey, we've all heard the stories about these kids. Uh, nine hours is the record in the literature for immersed in cold water and came out with no brain damage. Not only alive, but with no brain damage. So there we are. So it's not quite what you'd expect, although the obvious of heat them up is the thing. How you do it is important, which is why I basically wanted to do this piece. Okay, well, there you have it. There's the information. We hope it's, hope it's useful for you. Uh, you might want to read the, if you're listening to this straight from the, from the pod, from the, uh, your podcast accumulated like iTunes or whatever you're using, Stitcher, whatever you're using, first of all, thank you. Um, Welcome. And, yeah, she, she does iTunes. She's an iTuneser. Um, but I don't think she listens to us on iTunes. Do I don't to listen to myself if I can avoid it. Sometimes <laughs> I need to refresh my memory to write the article part of it, but I don't yeah. like the sound of my voice on tape, like many people. Well, the good news is she'll probably write the rest of this article today, so she won't have to listen to it herself. Yeah, I already made the notes earlier when I was doing the research. Okay. So, anyway, we're going to get the article up. It will be on 3BY. It'll run at the same time. It'll run as like glorified show notes for this for this podcast, or this podcast is a glorified, uh, well, not that glorified. I mean, synopsis. Yeah, it's a synopsis. Thank you for the word synopsis of what's going on in the show notes. So, hope you enjoy it and stay, stay warm. Stay warm. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's not have this. We're gonna actually have more information on this and frostbite in the future. So hang with us. Tons more medical information as it relates to prepping. Coming up on 3BY because it's part of what we do. It is the bandages part of our name. So we'll look forward to seeing you next time and have a great day.